This is On and Off Your Mat podcast, episode 28. Bhakti Yoga or the Yoga of Devotion. My name is Erica and I'm your host. For this episode, I sat down with Nubia Tishira. Nubia is an author, yogini, teacher trainer, and Odissi dancer who has devoted herself to teaching different aspects of yoga for almost 30 years. She is the founder of the Bhakti Nova School of Yoga and Dance and the author of the book Yoga and the Art of Mudra. She also has an instructional CD called Pranayama, May Breath Be Our Prayer. Nubia leads classes, workshops, and teacher trainings internationally, independently, and in collaboration with her husband, Kirtan artist Jai Utal, which we'll have on the podcast next episode. So today we sat down to talk about bhakti and what it means to devote yourself to love and to surrender. As always, I really appreciate your support. So as you leave a review on iTunes or on your iPhone podcast app, you automatically enter our giveaway. Once more, Atleta is supporting this podcast in their effort to ignite a community of strong women who lift each other up and is giving out a $75 shop card. If you want to know more about the giveaway, stay tuned. I'll give a bit more details at the end of the show and I'll also announce the winner of our last one. So if you left a comment, make sure to stick around. On that note, take a listen, be ready to open your heart, and I'm sure you'll feel inspired. Nubia and I have been part of the same yoga circles here in the Bay Area, but I've never actually directly studied with her. She's known, though, for using yoga and dance as a way to connect to the heart, to create healing, and to feel alive. She teaches bhakti yoga and is preparing to publish a book called The Art of Mudra. So today we sat down to talk about all of that. Nubia, before we dig in into our subjects of today, and for people that don't know you very well, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your yoga journey? Yeah, I, my mother says that the stork was flying to India and dropped me her lap in <laughs> Brazil accidentally. <laughs> so I'm fr originally from Brazil. I've been living here for almost 20 years. Uh, I started teaching yoga in Brazil uh, when I was 18 Um, back in the day, I was uh, really into theater. I thought that was going to be my path. And uh, some um, time along the path, I came across yoga and uh, it veered to be uh, become what I wanted to do. Mm. Uh, not to be a yoga teacher, but where I put in my focus the most. Um, so at the age of 18, I started teaching and I had no doubt that has been my my job, let's say, since then for almost 30 years. Um, and um, I'm very grateful to have been rescued by yoga mm -hmm. uh, in such an early age, you know, to begin with those uh, practices and be curious about uh, yoga brought me to, you know, make my choices a little more aligned with spirit and healing. Mm -hmm. So it helped me to grow into the woman I am right now mm. um, and uh, gave me so many friends and uh, so brought me so much um, opportunity to, to do what I love, which is to connect with uh, people. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Bhakti Yoga is referred in many traditional texts, including the Bhagavad Gita and the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. Can you explain, as we start, what is traditionally considered the path of bhakti or bhakti yoga itself? What does that mean? Hmm. So, um, bhakti yoga 
is a practice that is connecting you to your heart, like uh, Hatha Yoga connects you to your body. Mm-hmm. Bhakti Yoga connects you to your heart. I see Bhakti Yoga as a spiritual type of yoga, as a spiritual path. And the qualities of uh, Bhakti Yoga, the qualities of love and devotion, are considered to be the essential emotions that will propel you know, a bhakta, which is a devotee, a practitioner of uh, bhakti yoga, to reunite with um, the one. And that is for you to choose who is the one, who you want to call the one. So not religious, but spiritual. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. Although is one of the most religious types of yoga, um, we are not talking about religion, but we are st- talking about spirituality and ways of expressing um, love, uh, which it can be, yes, love towards oneself, for sure, love towards one another, love between uh, person and God, mm-hmm. which then, you know, you can interpret that as religious if you want to, but to me, it's sacred and spiritual is um, this constant um, question, you know, that we all have, who am I, where I'm going after this journey, who is coordinating all of this. So um, to love everything that comes in your way and helps you to fulfill your spiritual journey in this human incarnation. Mm. All of this is bhakti and all of this can bring you closer to the one. Would you say that that's the main goal of bhakti, bringing you closer to the one? Yes, reuniting and reuniting uh, with the one, with, um, you know, beginning with uh, the principle that we are separated. Uh, so um, the separation in, in bhakti yoga is a beautiful thing. The reason to be separated is then to find uh, within that separation the longing and uh, to grow in whatever way. Each one of us is meant to grow in our journey here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then to then after this journey, fully reunite, if that is <laughs> in on the the way of uh, grace, to fully reunite. Mm. And you asked me about the Gita and uh, the Yoga Sutras, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the the Bhagavad Gita it is a text that um, um, teaches us. It's actually a poem within a greater um, book called the Mahabharata. Mm-hmm. And in this poem poem of the Gita, uh, we find a lot of teachings about uh, Bhakti Yoga and also Karma Yoga, both of them very intertwined. Uh, To me, I think the most relevant part of the Gita to me is um, that um, Krishna is teaching his best friend. Arjuna um, and Krishna, they grew up together. They played together during their childhood. Later on, Arjuna uh, married Krishna's sister. And... uh, in that moment of the Gita, when Arjuna falls to the ground in despair and not knowing what to do because he did not want to fight, Krishna, with um, a lot of love, he comes to his friend and his friend at that moment, he becomes his disciple when he begins to teach him the ways of uh, bhakti and the ways of karma, yoga. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and he tells Arjuna to stand up, that uh, it just does, is not fit for a soldier not one to fight. And he urges Arjuna to um, uh, fulfill his dharma. So that part to me is the most beautiful. Mm-hmm. What I like in, in the Gita is that it's a very passionate book. <laughs> it's a very passionate uh, way of teaching us to show up to what we have to do mm-hmm. and to do what we are meant to do and not to try to do something else that is meant to for someone else. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that um, our duties are... Our spiritual uh, work here, you know, many different traditions um, teach us that we don't do our spiritual work when we are spirits. We do our spiritual work when we are embodied. And having the human form is one of the highest, highest um, opportunities or the greatest, I would say, greatest opportunities to fulfill our uh, spiritual evolution to work towards our spiritual evolution, and um, bhakti can be translated also as relationship. Hmm. Bhakti is the love that we all have inside of our hearts. Bhakti is the essence within every single spiritual teaching, and uh, it's inside of every religion because it's. It's about the love that is within the the human hearts. Mm-hmm. Now, bhakti yoga are practices that um, help a person to remember and to you know activate that well of bhakti inside. Would you have some examples of practices that are part of bhakti yoga? Yeah, but may I please just rewind a little bit, Mm -hmm. just to say the reason uh, I like the definition of bhakti as relationship Mm -hmm. is because uh, in the Gita, what you see happening through and through is this beautiful conversation amongst those two friends. And in that process, how Krishna shows Arjuna the importance of uh, doing what we have to do here in this body, in this human form, and uh, fulfill our dharma, and also that it's not linear, that there are many realities for this spirit, right? That is so doing, doing the karma yoga, so doing. So um, we don't know what was and what will be our Ability to see the reality is very small, mm-hmm. right? So um, the best way to grow, according to bhakti yoga, is with your brothers and sisters, is participating in the world, is being active. So in answer to your question now about practices that you can do, uh, I think that the best practice of bhakti yoga is to be of service. Mm-hmm. That is the best practice of bhakti yoga, to try to help others, to love others. And you can do that in many different ways, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you can do that as you go and you see different needs, you show up for those different needs in different places, different situations. Um, now, formal 
techniques, practices that you can do are chanting, uh, chanting the divine names. Mm-hmm. Um, you can cook. You can, you know, prepare a special meal. Offer it to whomever you feel is your, you know, the the one is the deity that you worship, or you know, if you want to offer that in, back to nature, uh, to be expressing your gratitude to the benevolence of uh, nature and her bounty, you can do that, and then call a friend to come and enjoy the meal, which mm-hmm. is a prasad with you. Mm-hmm. So. You can also paint. You can use your your emotions and your love and your uh, devotion and transform that into art. You can paint. You can sculpture. You can create something out of devotion. Uh, dance. The you know my main form of um, uh, bhakti yoga is this classical Indian dance of uh, Odyssey, and that's when I really felt after practicing yoga for many years and was feeling a little dry, that was the first time I felt my heart just opening in such a huge way, devotional way. It was uh, via this temple dance called Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Um, it has an element of offering and that's, I think, the most important part, right? So everything you do that express your art uh, and it has an element of offering that can become bhakti yoga. Mm-hmm. Listen, listening to the stories of the Puranas, the stories of the gods and goddesses, um, listening to the stories of saints and learning from it, um, and then also telling stories is a big part of bhakti yoga. And why do you think those practices are important? The practice of devotion, the practice of offering, how does that impact us in our life? Well, if it everybody did whatever they do with a loving love and care it would be so much better right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so we uh, cannot refrain from uh, acting you know this is also one of the main teachings in the Bhagavad Gita we we are here in this human form and we are constantly acting inevitable that we have to work that we have to interact right mm-hmm. and so whatever you do, If you can do that as an offering and do it from your heart, if possible, and with the intention of uh, serving and of uh, reuniting with uh, the Supreme Being or, you know, nature, uh, that makes it more sacred and makes life just a little bit more whole, right? Mm -hmm. So the importance of doing it is just to do it in a way that is more loving. Mm. That sounds nice. Um, so we talked about love and devotion. And could you explain the difference in your opinion between those two things? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> It's, you, you know, like I said, we think too linear, right? <laughs> we think too linear. There is no difference. It's, like, it's just a, 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 it's a, it's a, a circle. And it goes love, devotion, service, love, devotion, service. Mm. And it, it spirals and it goes in different ways. But it's, to me, the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, and then there are different forms of love. 
of rights, yeah. the love uh, we feel for each other as brothers and sisters, the love I feel towards my son, the word, the love I feel towards my husband, the not love that I feel towards someone else, but I'm trying to open to love. I'm doing my work to learn how to love, you know, the um, in all of the texts of uh, Bhakti, or even if I go into the poetry of Bhakti, there are so many emotions that are um, connecting one to love, even anger, right? Mm. So if you read the poems of Mirabai, uh, there are moments that she's just so frustrated that Krishna has not come, and she's angry at him, uh, and so is Radha. Um, and that mood of uh, anger is just at the other side of love, right? Mm. Flip the coin and it's anger. And how how did you leave me alone? And you went out there and went dancing with the other gopis, Krishna. <laughs> so all of those are moods of uh, colors of love, different colors of love, mm-hmm. different qualities of love. Yeah. I like that. Um, Do you consider self-love being like part of bhakti as well? Yeah, like practice. Yeah, we said that. Oh yes, we said. I said. I think I said that in the beginning. Like self love, the love for one another. Uh-huh. Right? Maybe I missed it. I'm sorry. The, yeah. So no, no. It's it's beautiful. So just like defining love, um, like the love for the self. Yes. Um, and I always, you know, try to tell my students we want to be strong. And uh, we want to care to this vehicle. We want to be strong because we want to be open to, like, someone calls us, we are right there. How can I help? You know, I want to be in this body uh, so it can be better of service. And then you want to love this body because it's such a gift, right, to have this form Mm -hmm. and to be able to feel human love. It's such a gift that... um, you know, the gods and goddesses, they wanted to have the, that experience. So they take a human form in order for to experience that. So, yes, loving the, this physical form and loving oneself is so important. And then the ultimate love, I think, which is the love between the Atma and the Paramatma, right? That love between the devotee and the supreme being, mm. between the soul and uh, God. Yes, for self-love, please. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the same, you know, like a balancing everything, right? We mm-hmm. want to find that balance to love others and to love our planet, everything together. And again, not linear, just all together if we can make it in a way that works for everybody and then also that works for us is really important. Mm -hmm. So we talked about the religious side and the non-religious side where we can really apply bhakti in different ways, just as simple as service and practices of self-love and love with the people around us. How about gratitude? Do you think gratitude is part of bhakti? Yeah, gratitude is a a big part of uh, spiritual practices. And um, um. What uh, I think it's important for me to say is that gratitude to whatever comes your way is a beautiful spiritual practice. Not just for the good. Not just for the good. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's like putting an imprint for people that you should expect just the good. You know, no, life is full. Life has so many different 
experiences for us to experience and the life of um evolving uh being is filled with the challenges also because it's in w- within the adversity that we stretch our hearts you know that we open our hearts to new ways of loving so yes gratitude for whatever comes your way and then again the gratitude um feeling this this muscle inside of your being that wants to evolve as a a human being you know Mm -hmm. yeah so you brought an interesting point where it's not only feeling the good and the love but it's feeling everything and or having feeling for everything for everybody for everything that we experience in this life and feeling gratitude for that so yes feeling gratitude for the love feeling gratitude for you know the beauty you have in your life for sure but then feeling gratitude that's a little hard but feeling gratitude for the diversity also and Mm -hmm. the challenges that come we have so many examples of people that you know go through so much suffering and cancer and uh closer to death and this and that and the trauma just uh, opens Mm-hmm. to love in a whole new way and to see life in a whole new way right mm. um you know the pursuit of happiness is uh, is killing our planet and it's killing our hearts also because um uh, everybody we are trying to do whatever we can to be happy that's what it is and the Some people do that in a kind way to, again, the planet and to the others around us with respect and measure, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, okay, I'm taking just what I need. Others are doing in a way that is, they will never feel the whole, right? And it's destroying uh, Mm -hmm. so much of our hearts and the planet. I say that um, for now, I think that as a humanity, we have to pursue not happiness, but contentment. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's not possible to be happy with so much suffering and so much destruction going around us. If we all only open our hearts, our tender hearts to you know, the suffering of humanity, we cannot really, really be fully happy. Mm. But we can be content, joyful, grateful, right? Yeah. And we can be extra kind, extra compassionate, extra loving, mm-hmm. extra generous. So you think it's important to experience that suffering and not push it to the side? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> because it doesn't go away. It gets to be hidden somewhere else. You know, you can you can suppress it. You can ignore. Mm-hmm. But still we'll be feeling because we are all interconnected, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I remember I had just moved like from Brazil, I think, when the 9-11 happened. I remember, well, that was before Ezra. That I know for sure. There's my life before my son, before Ezra and after Ezra. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I remember I woke up with a strong pain in my whole body, headache. And I I thought, this is is wrong. There is something wrong. I don't know what it is. Mm. And I've, you know, I, it's impossible for us not to feel. And then um, you can choose not to feel. I'm not saying you, but one could choose not to feel. Uh, but um, but you're probably do. cutting yourself off from the other emotions like love, like the more yeah. classically known, seen as positive emotions. 
you are affected no matter what. You can try to hide in the top of the mountain but and go into meditation, you know, but you are part of the human race and you are being affected by it. You know, one of the things that we, we jumped over, and let me look at our time, was um, the mention of, you asked me about the sutras, mm-hmm. the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. So the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali being um, a text in Raja Yoga, the royal path, um, do have a few, you know, uh, slokas that talk about, uh, mention about the qualities of bhakti. One of them that I, I even wrote it down to talk about because I knew you had that question was Ishwara Pranidana Va, mm-hmm. which is the ability of, um, you know, surrender to Ishwara is God. So to God and to um, to this profound meditation um, and profound and deep surrender towards God. And then also the mention that um, God is uh, in the sound of uh, the mantra Om. So if someone um, is having a little bit of a um, hard time connecting with uh, the, the deities of um, the bhakti tradition, mm-hmm. they could simply chant Om. And I didn't want to forget to say that mm-hmm. because within that sound, is the presence of the divine in in bhakti yoga with the chants, right? You are like with your full heart, with devotion, you are vocalizing those sounds. And sound is very healing. It clears something before it becomes manifested. Mm-hmm. So, you know, right now in this time and age where there is so much happening in the invisible, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, that is coming to us via our phones and uh, computers and, uh, you know, coming to us in the air can be elevated by pure and uh, sattvic and um, sacred sounds. So the chanting is a big part of bhakti yoga because of that, because it supports us to voice our emotions, to put in our prayers or, you know, chanting our full hearts and um, connected to what is in the ethereal. Mm -hmm. So that's a great way if you do not want to devote yourself to a particular God, but let's say you do want and you are curious and you are looking, how does someone choose which deity God or goddess to devote themselves to or to offer love to? Or at least to begin with, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say to begin with, because then you don't never know where the journey will take you. So, um, yeah, begin with Om and then pay attention on your preferences. This mm-hmm. is what I always tell my students, because your heart will always tell you and your love will always tell you. And your preference in this case will be indicating you a place that it's comfortable and easy to start with. And then you can start with that. Mm-hmm. So if you notice that like every time you open a book, there is, oh, there is a Hanuman that jumps. Oh, wow. Again, Hanuman. Oh, again, Hanuman. And then you begin to look into that form and feel a little bit of uh, something in your heart. Maybe worship, uh, you begin to worship that form of mm-hmm. uh, God, you know? Or I have a deep, deep, profound uh, uh, devotion to the universal mother. 
So I tend to go there and, uh, you know, feel like this is my home. This is where I abide and uh, uh, it's effortless. Mm-hmm. So for everybody, it's going to be slightly different because we're all here to work differently, right? Yeah, that's a good place to start. And um, um, I, I wanted to say something else about um, the Yoga Sutras mm-hmm. of Patanjali. Um, it's still in the Samadhi Pada. Patanjali refers to different ways that one could be practicing meditation or practicing in a way that um, will reduce suffering, Mm -hmm. reduce the impediments. And one of the ways is uh, 1.37, by contemplating on enlightened sages or divine objects. Mm Mm-hmm. And that is really helpful to me, like, um, you know, um, especially as a yoga teacher. I never had the opportunity to meet some of the yogi and yogini masters of the past. And um, also some of the saints that left us such a beautiful legacy. So placing an image of um, one of them in front of you and then meditating on that image is really helpful. Mm. So it doesn't need to be the deity, it can be the, their uh, representants. <laughs> yeah, someone that inspires you in this world that did something good. Yeah, and it is, you know, uh, bringing forth the real teachings. Mm-hmm. And that is touching, those real teachings are touching your hearts. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier uh, karma yoga as well as bhakti. Do you think that practicing bhakti alone is enough or is it too one-sided? How do we have, like, find a balanced practice? I think that, uh, you know, like uh, for me, just for me, um, there is no way that you can practice bhakti yoga without practicing karma yoga. And also there is no meaning to practice bhakti yoga without practicing bhakti yoga. So... um, to perform everything you perform in your life and make that an act of uh, devotion is really the root of uh, bhakti. But then it gets to be enough when it's all about you all the time, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it gets to be also to lose its uh, potency because we are all here to share, right? Mm. To develop this altruistic quality of wanting to make the life of others better also or to uplift others is really important. And uh, when you're practicing any form of uh, bhakti yoga with others or when you are in community, you feel both. You feel uplifted and sometimes you feel triggered also, which is wonderful, right? Which that supports you to grow. But then to put others ahead of you, sometimes when your tendency is to always put yourself ahead, it's a good thing and vice versa. Mm -hmm. The practice of uh, karma yoga, it's so needed right now in the world. It's so needed. And you, if you don't want to call it karma yoga, you just want to, you know, um, go out and do philanthropy. It's Mm -hmm. another way of doing karma yoga. Sure. Do you think Hatha yoga is important or is karma yoga and bhakti yoga together could be enough? No. <laughs> Hatha yoga is what I, I teach the most. You know, Hatha yoga is yeah. where I find uh, uh, a way to sneak my bhakti and my karma into my students. Yes. But also not only that, 
um, we are in this body and this body is beautiful. I said that before and it's so important for us to honor that. So the whole, you know, teachings of uh, I'm not this body, that doesn't work for me. Because uh, when I say that, I'm using this body and I'm denying this body, right? Yeah. I'm using this body, so I'm using every single vehicle that, um, you know, comes from this body to even make that statement. So I like to say I am not only this body, mm. right? So mm-hmm. even if you would just think about the five koshas, right? You can just limit it to that. But there is, I think, much more than that. Um, but it's important to take care of the physical body. And uh, if you have a healthy physical body, you can focus more on your spiritual practice. If you are experiencing disease, you have to put all your attention towards uh, taking care of that issue, right? Yes. Uh, so you're, which is not black and white, okay? I know a lot of people that are, you know, going through, you know, lifetime challenges with their health and they are oh my god so beautiful and so connected to god but for you know regular people like me having a health body helps me to be more uh open Mm -hmm. to then focus extra time in the spiritual life yeah it gives you you're able it gives you like that space yeah Mm -hmm. so you know like i mentioned about my love uh for the mother Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I like to call myself um, a servant of the mother. I feel like her presence in everything and in everyone is what makes my world so full, so special. Mm. You know, the, there's a prayer that I do every day, which um, is in, within a text called Devi Mahatmyan. And it talks about uh, 21 different qualities of the mother and how she's present in all of these different qualities, all those different parts. Pick one. Ya Devi Sarvabhuteshu Shakti Rupena Samstita Namastase, 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 namo namaha. I bow again and again in reverence to the Devi, the goddess, who is present in every being as the life force within them. Mm. In this way, you begin to walk around and see everywhere and in everyone her presence. So when you are connecting to people, you are connecting to the people, the person ahead of you, but also to that light inside of them. Mm -hmm. I love that way of uh, seeing life and seeing that this world is not an illusion. This world is her playground for us. Mm. And uh, it's her um, bounty that, you know, feeds us and it's her light that orients us. And it's also her... Uh, Maya that brings us ways of growing, mm. ways of, um, and when I mean her Maya, I don't mean illusion, but I mean her power is bringing us the ability to grow. That's nice. Um, one thing I want to get to before we finish is the book that you are preparing to publish called Art of Mudra. Are mudras for you another bhakti practice? 
Oh, thank you for asking that. So, yeah, the book I'm holding here in my hand, I have one copy. That's the only one. Um, and uh, it's called Yoga and the Art of Mudras. What is, um, let's say, different about this book than uh, so many other beautiful books on mudras that are out there is that this book teaches how to embellish your yoga asana with mudras that are meaningful and also how to evoke the um, mudra gesture and the specific poses that I brought from the dance tradition that are sculptural poses of the deities, how to evoke the presence of those deities via mudra and uh, asana, the asana of the deities, which I called in the book bijasana, which are the bija, the seed asana of each deity. And then um, I, because of my training in Odyssey, I started dancing Odyssey in 97. Uh, I, I draw from that tradition from a book called Natya Shastra, which is for us dancers, uh, Bhaktas, a fifth Veda, considered, we consider to be the fifth Veda, which gives us, us an opportunity and ways to worship. So each mudra has a meaning, tell a story. So all of these compositions is a photography book. I spent, um, you know, a year going to different locations with my friend and taking different photos. So each composition is an invocation and a dedication. And each composition of um, yoga, asana and mudra will create this opportunity to revere and worship in a you know, not so new because I'm drawing from the traditional, but in my way, in my vision, with my vision of putting those together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't wait to take a look inside. I've seen Thank the cover, you. but I want to see what's hidden in there. Thank you. It's coming out on June 18th of uh, this year. Awesome. That's super soon. It's super soon. <laughs> Anything else you want to add before we finish? Anything you want to add about bhakti or yourself or anything I've missed? Oh, you're so so kind, Erica. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And I hope that this little conversation is of uh, help for the ones now called the bhaktas that are <laughs> listening to this. Why don't I close it with a poem? Um, you know, I, I love poetry. I write poetry all the time, Portuguese and English and a mix of both. And sometimes I put a little... Sanskrit in there, but um, I want to read a poem from Akka Devi. Akka Mahadevi, she was a saint poet from medieval times, and uh, she was a devotee, she is, a devotee of uh, Shiva. So she called um, Shiva Chanamalikarjuna Jasmine Tender. So I'll close with that. How does it sound? To play, to sing, to speak, to ask, to walk, to talk with your devotees is joyous harmony. As long as I have the gift of life from you, may I spend my days in the company of your devotees. Oh, Chanamali Karjuna, Jasmine Tender. Mm. So I guess my main message is that we are not alone and we cannot do it alone. <laughs> We need each other. Yes. Okay. Well, I definitely <laughs> needed you for this episode. Thank you so much for giving you your time and being so open to talk about all of this. Thank you, Erica. Have a beautiful rest of your day. Jai Ma. 
Thank you, Jaima. Thank you so much for listening. We have other great guests coming up, including Jai Utal, as I said in the intro, so make sure to subscribe and not miss an episode. Now, if you want to make my day, help other people find this podcast, or get your chance to win the $75 shop card from Atleta, all you have to do is head on to iTunes or on the podcast app of your iPhone and click the link, write a review. As you leave your review, you automatically enter a giveaway, and I announce the winner on the next episode. Now, if you're newer to reviews, you can check out the show notes for a detailed instruction or for more info about our guests of today. You can also visit my website, ericabelanger.com slash blog dash podcast for those two things. Our last episode was also supported by Athlata. Thank you so much if you left a review. The winner of that giveaway is user yoginiheart108. She said, Today I was feeling depleted and exhausted, and listening to Erica's interview with Janice Stone was the perfect medicine for this long-time yogini. Thank you for creating this podcast to help freely and generously spread the teachings. I'm inspired and reminded how simple it can be to receive nourishment from hearing other stories along their unique path. Namaste. Thank you so much, yoginiheart108, for your comment. Email me at erica.belanger at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram and I'll send you your shop card. Also, special shout out to iTunes users Feeling It, Vivian Tobe, and 638Barberry. Thank you, guys. Now, before we go, I just want to say a last thank you to Alexander Saba working in the background of this podcast, creating the music, editing, and mastering. Once again, thank you for joining us and until next time.